Welcome to the Female Founder Friday podcast, a collection of inspiring conversations with the most interesting female entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm your host, Lindsay White, and together with my incredible guests, we'll explore the struggles of being a female entrepreneur, the most important lessons, and the future of women leaders in business. Speaking of struggles, one of the biggest challenges that so many of my clients are experiencing right now is this feeling of isolation. And let's be honest, it's lonely being an entrepreneur. And even if you have a team, you may not have the community around you that truly understands what it's like to be a business owner. That's why I've created the Inner Circle Group Program. It's a specially curated group experience that's designed specifically for female entrepreneurs as a space to create connection, build confidence, share our collective wisdom, and build our leadership. It's a safe space to talk about the hard things in your business. And if this sounds like the right place for you, I'd invite you to check it out today as the fun gets started on October 18th. And I know you don't want to miss it. You can find out more at highvoltageleadership.ca. My guest on this week's episode is Crystal Clifton, a sought after business growth strategist and serial entrepreneur. Crystal grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and witnessed the hard work as well as the incredible stress of both her father and her grandmother. She knew she wanted more out of her career and life, so she set out to do something she really loved and was passionate about. Today, she translates that passion into helping others create distinctive brands and success on their own terms. We had such a fantastic conversation, and I know you're going to love today's episode. Awesome. Well, welcome, Crystal Clifton, to the Female Founder Friday podcast. How the heck are you? I'm so good. Thank you. Awesome. I'm so happy to be here. And I know all of you can't see how gorgeous Lindsay looks right now in her killer glasses, but they're smoking good. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much for that. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> that's pretty nice. And no, you can't see me. Maybe I'll post a picture, but yes, thank you. We're both wearing pretty awesome glasses. Crystal's got a pretty nice looking pair on today too. Thanks. Yeah. Go girls with eyesight problems. Um, anyways, <laughs> I want to, I, I want to dig into this with you because I, I know you have a really interesting story and an interesting journey, mm-hmm. and I would love you to talk to us about how you became a female founder. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my journey does kind of begin in my earlier years, right when I got out of college, but really the inspiration was probably when I was a kid because my grandmother had a business. We had a dry cleaners. We had a family dry cleaners. My father worked his way up as a construction worker. And then one day he bought the business. So I came from this family of, okay, you, you can own a business, but the mentality of that witnessing them doing that was really work hard. Owning a business is hard. Having employees is hard. And you just, you do it, whether or not you like it. I know my grandmother didn't love dry cleaning. That wasn't her passion at all. Like I remember I really didn't have a grandma. Grandmas were, you know, visionary, sweet women who like hugged you and baked cookies and mine. I got dropped off there and I would basically be like checking your pants for lipstick, chapstick and quarters Right. And that wasn't fun, but that's, that was my experience growing up. I love it. Fast forward. I remember thinking earlier on like, well, I want to do something I love. 
And every time I looked to do things I loved, I remember my, my dad, especially, and my grandmother being very logical. Well, that's not going to make you money. That's this. And that's not this. And so when I went away to college, that was already a struggle. My dad said, you don't need to do that. You just need to get a job. You just need to do this. It was very logically laid out for me. And I instead decided to move to Italy, which was totally defined the logic of my parents. <laughs> I love it. love it. And that was just, it was, it was really one of the number one ways that I believe, you know, especially women, we get these little tiny breadcrumbs of who we really are or what is our navigational pull. And it doesn't just happen. I mean, sometimes it does because some situation happens in our life. Like you have a baby and you look around and all the baby clothes are really sucky and you want to create something new, like, but something there's breadcrumbs or something that brought you to believe or desire something different. And that's really what led me to move to Italy, become totally just enthralled and entranced with the culture of food, wine, and passion. And then I moved back. And even though that's when the dot-com business was happening and I, my poor parents to this day, they're like, wait, why didn't you go get that job at Google? Why did you become a winemaker? Well, (laughs) that was my passion. Right. And so it, it was something that no matter how many hours of the day I worked, it felt magical. It felt exciting, exhilarating. So using my passions and my skills. I didn't come from my making. I didn't come from my, my, my parents didn't even drink. They had me when they were 18. So there wasn't even like this culture of food and wine as a kid. Our, our culture of going out when I grew up was like round table pizza, <laughs> it was like yeah. a big outing. <laughs> and so I just knew I wanted something different. And my, my soul just felt led to, to being in a culture of food and wine. So at a very early age of 21, I I really knew that and looked at what could I do. So I had a, a, a job at one winery during the day on weekends, a job at a restaurant buying wine during the daytime. And then I also worked at another winery and I ran the restaurant at night. So I was doing all aspects to see what one I really loved. The thing I realized I loved was that being behind the scenes, making wine when I was hired to be more full-time with him. I loved it because it was the creative brain. I loved, I loved taking grapes and making them into something. I loved creating a culture, a dynamic. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what I love. Now I look back and see if that's what I loved, but being able to have a product to walk into other restaurants and say, Hey, check this out. This is what I made. It was really exciting. And you know, at the time there were not a lot of women, there was maybe a dozen of us in the U S that I can say in you know, the year, 2000, 2001, that were really in the wine business. It was a man's world. Yeah. And so I stuck to my passion and there was definitely times I had to recognize that I didn't have to be a man because there was so much, you know, Oh, little lady, and we'll take care of this. And, Oh, you shouldn't, now I look at it and you just, you can relax and laugh it off. I can in my, you know, comfort of adulthood, but definitely as a sassy 21 year old, I just felt like I had to push harder. Probably wasn't the best advice. (laughs) I know, but when, you know, it is that energy of youth, right? Like I can respect Mm -hmm. that in your early twenties, that that's like the right thing to do. 
Absolutely. It's what I wanted. I wanted to prove myself. So that was this, like, I got to go out there and do it. And so what I loved is because I followed all the passionate, you know, kind of nudges I had my whole life since I was a kid. I I mean, I was telling my dad, my dad was here recently and he was laughing because yeah, you used to take from the Chronicle because I'm from San Francisco most kids would look at the comics and I was like pouring over the openings of restaurants. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this new restaurant opened. And it's like, who are you? You don't belong in this family, (laughs) but I loved that. So I just applied that when I was making wine, you know, one of the number one things is you can make a product, but knowing who you're going to sell it to, is really important. So that was kind of my business creation was I made my own wine and I was so excited about it, but I already knew I had to have a plan on where I was going to sell it. And so that kind of launched it from being a dream to an actuality. And then it just, it grew. I mean, we, I was actively involved in three brands in California. And then as I kept growing and keeping up my connections, we, I started, you know, working with a brand down in Argentina and one in Italy and one in Washington. So it, I was able to really apply and see so many different aspects of the business, which I loved. Yeah. That is so cool. I really love that. I love that even, I mean, you know, we're, when we're 20, we, I mean, we don't know what we don't know. And there's an awful lot that we don't actually know, but that you had the guts to just go with it, to, to, to just really stick with that, um, and lead with your intuition. I think that that is just super key. Yes. And I would actually use a word. I think you and I talked about this before permission. Yeah. Right. Because you can have intuition. You can go, Oh, I, I've always wanted to be a yoga instructor or a winemaker or a painter or whatever it is. If you just let that nudge stay there and nag at you, ladies, it will find somebody else. It's kind of like if, if, if a really sweet guy or woman or whoever is courting you, it's only going to court you for so long before go, go and find somebody who's going to actually pay attention to that, you know, energy. So it's almost like your ideas wanted, they're going to kind of try and court you a bit. And if you don't actually take the next step with it, if you don't give yourself permission to go, well, okay. If I think about what I could really do and what if I wasn't scared and what if I just did it? Cause if I would have stayed stuck in all the fear of I don't know winemaking. I've never been a winemaker. There's not a lot of women winemakers. I don't know what I'm doing. This doesn't pay me any money. If I would have let all, and all those things were true, but if I would have let those be my reality, yeah, that would have, I don't know what I would have been. I probably would be, I mean, I, I would have got a job at a dot-com company and I would have followed suit, but I probably at some point would have been so miserable that I didn't actually give myself permission to be who I really wanted or have what I really desired out of life. That is so beautifully said. I think that is just so beautifully said. We really do. And I, I encounter, I, I do encounter women like this where, yeah, they, they know that they ignored that intuition or that gut feeling earlier in their lives. And they come to be female founders and entrepreneurs later. Um, or what, you know, in business, but also in life, right? Like I, I did what I should, I did what I was told to do. I did what I should have done. The shooting should all over Mm -hmm. ourselves, but 
when we actually get still and get quiet and really listen to what is that voice saying? What is that intuition trying to tell me? We, I think, set ourselves up for greater success. Absolutely. And I, I love that you had the poise, even in your early 20s, to do, to do that, which I think is just really special. So I, I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. My dad calls it defiance, but I love it. You just called it poise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. And it's not that our, our families aren't looking out for us right? Yeah. That they aren't trying to care for us. I do think that that, that fuels our own internal, you know, saboteur voice, which says, well, I'm not good enough or smart enough, or I don't know enough to start a business or be in the wine industry or all of those things. Again, at 20, you can be a little defiant. You can be a bit of a rebel. Sometimes, um, you know, the, the women that I work with frequently are in their thirties, forties, and even into their early fifties. And sometimes that voice can be paralyzing, right? Yeah. Realizing. Absolutely. And I think it's actually, in my opinion, it's easier to be a defiant against the norm when you are in your twenties, because you're, you see things, you have enough of that youthful juiciness, like, Oh, what else is out there? Yeah. Um, but I do feel that when you get to your thirties and your forties, that courage can turn to complacency instead of courageous permission. Right. So there's this, well, I have a good job. Well, I, I really do need health insurance or what would my husband think? Or I don't want to be divorced. Or, I mean, there is a lot that feels more gravity at a stage yeah. the older you get. And the number one thing I can say, because I have had to rebuild myself multiple times is <laughs> <laughs> it's about that power of permission and then having presence with yourself and just having a little compassion, be like, Hey girl, <laughs> that one didn't work, but I love you. It's yeah. going to work out. And that mentality is so powerful. And all the other things, all the things that can come at you that are your own thoughts of why you shouldn't or how you shouldn't, like you're saying, shitting all over. Yeah. I talk about that as like, it's your mom voice. It's you trying to protect you. Oh, totally. You know? And so when you acknowledge, you're like, thanks so much. I understand you're here to protect me, but I give myself permission to see another way to do this. Yeah. Just, just don't ignore it. Don't fight it. Just be present with it because it's kind of like when a son or a daughter, my, my kid's a perfect example. You know, when he first started wanting a skateboard, I'm like, uh, no, that's not happening. Yeah. And finally he's like, well, mom, it's something I want. I really want to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Here's the things I hear that you're saying that are dangerous. And I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to make sure I stay okay. And then I suddenly, as a mom, like, okay, let me support you. And I think we have to be that way to ourselves sometimes. Okay. Like, I hear you. I hear you're scared. I hear you're worried. I hear you're, you're freaked out about money. So instead of fighting with you, let's be, let's change the conversation of how can we make this work? Yeah. I, I think that that's, I think that's brilliantly articulated because that is exactly what that critical voice is trying to do, isn't it? It's yeah. trying to keep you safe. And there's always a little truth to it. This is what I say to my clients. There's always like 2% truth because you're right. There is risk. There's risk in the skateboarding. There's risk in starting your own business. There is, a, there is risk. 
But what your saboteur voice is trying to do is convince you the risk is bigger than it actually is. A hundred percent. Right. It's trying to convince you it's catastrophizing to use a big word, right? It is trying yeah. to convince you that the worst is definitely going to happen. Well, let's really think this one through right now. Yeah. Skateboarding, you're likely to break a wrist, but as you said, you can mitigate some of that stuff. You wear the wrist guards, you wear knee pads, for God's sake, wear a helmet, protect your melon, right? Exactly. That's why I'm always like, you only, and I, this is when I didn't let my son play skateboarding or not play. Sorry. That's a horrible mom moment. My kid's gonna be so embarrassed if he ever hears that. But I remember I said to him, stop it. You only have one head. Stop jumping off at the time he was jumping off of my roof. Um, I don't know if any other mothers that there have children like this, but Hashtag goes, mama boys. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You have, and I go, and you only have one head and he yeah. goes, mom, I'm pretty sure you can buy a new one on Amazon. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not quite. He was like two. I'm like, okay, there's a big, big disconnect between what Amazon actually sells and what you think your head is like, it's not a product. No, no. No, that's not one. We haven't quite got there yet with the bionic brains, I'm afraid. I know, but so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, so that's the thing. Like what, what are the factors and how do you mitigate them? And then I, I appreciate what you're saying about, you know, talking to yourself the way you would help your, your kid or a friend, right? Treat yourself like you're your own best friend and have oh, that conversation. Yeah. And if you can't, I'll put in a little plug here, get a coach. Get Thank a you. coach that can help you see yep. yourself for who you truly are, for that can help you understand that that voice is trying to talk you out of doing something really cool and courageous because you can't read the label from the inside the bottle sometimes. Absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that because what I heard this recently, I, I have two coaches, one for my business and one for me, right? Because we, we also forget that you, if you want to show up and play full out, wherever, if you, if you're training for a track or if you're trying to lose weight or whatever it is, if you want to shift, you need somebody that is going to see you because you can't see your own ears, no matter how fast you move your head. Right. Oh, it's like, right. you just can't. So yes. And that was my big ahas when somebody's my first coach said to me, Crystal, if I heard the voice in your head, would I think you're crazy or encouraging? And I just went, Oh, that was the biggest moment where I started listening to what my voice was actually saying. Yeah. And so I don't know if you ever have seen, um, for anybody who's ever seen the Bob Newhart, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> that video is so great. If you just need to know what you need to do to stop the voice inside your head in a silly, funny way, that clip on YouTube, it's, I don't know, less than 10 minutes, but that's just it. You can say, Oh, stop it. You're being, you know, thank you for protecting me and move on. Cause if you want to, if you want to be that beautiful, fearless female founder, you have to be willing to take risks by acknowledging them and giving yourself permission to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. I, I that, that <laughs> Crystal is like genius. Um, just golden nuggets all over the place. Cause that, that is exactly it. I, I love this, the power of permission sort of theme that we've got going here, because I, I think that really is, um, that really is powerful. Um, so I want to ask you, cause I ask all my guests, what is like, tell us about how you messed it up where, oh, what, yeah. yeah. And what <laughs> you learned and what you learned. Cause I think we learn really valuable things when we make mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. 
So a couple things I learned, um, the biggest one was being so excited about my product, my business that we doubled our business in one year. Now for anybody who wants to grow their business, please do not double your business in one year, because when you do that and you don't really have a scale up plan, you know, what hits the fan? Like it literally was just because then you're suddenly you're, you're back in survival mode because the, right. the, you just went from like, look, mom, I can swim to like, whoa, I'm in the Olympics. Like what's going on? And it, it changed a game, but we weren't trained for it. Right. And so right. suddenly bigger bills, bigger expectations. And then I had to hire people yeah. right away because we grew our production overnight. Yeah. Which I was so excited. And we had the demand, we had all of that. But when you suddenly up the ante like that and you just go, okay, here's the next level. Well, the next place I screwed up is by just thinking I hired people. So they'll think like me and sell like me and it's all going to be okay. Yeah. No, I hired people. People can do what I need them to do. Great. You bookkeeper, you open the tasting room, you answer the phone. And I would just be like, and then suddenly this is what happened. The bookkeeper totally stole from me, stole my identity, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So lesson number one, don't have a creative bookkeeper. Lesson number two, um, by not having our values in place and a culture of our business, the why of our business, which is far superior than the how, I would say every single person listening to this, 80% of your focus should be focusing on the results and the why. Yeah. And the how is so much easier when you get the buy-in from your team of this is who we are, this is what we stand for, and this is why. Then your team will totally transform your business. Yeah. And instead I was the leader that I had so many things going on. I was traveling 20 days a month. My to-do list was never going to end. So I would literally call team meetings, give them this, like, go, what are you doing? 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 Here's the goals. What are you going to do? Okay, great. See you next Friday. And my team nicknamed me the Tasmanian devil. They're like, she comes in she tells us all the stuff that needs to get done. And then she leaves again. And behind her is this little, like, like you'd see me like, here I come. <laughs> and Dave Ramsey said this once when I went to entre leadership and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And this is when I changed everything. He said, if you are the leader that has left the station, cause your train's going so fast and you have a destination, but you're the only one on the train and you left your team at the station, then you have a problem. Yeah. You have to be clear about where you're going, make sure that the people, the passengers, AKA your team know where you're going. So they have time to get on your train and you leave with them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do that. Yeah. And because I didn't do it, the productivity in my business went down because they literally would nod their heads during meeting and then nothing would ever really get done the way I wanted. So then I would be frustrated right. and then there would be friction between the team and I. Yeah. And then it grew friction between my husband, who was also my partner at the time, because he was the artist type and I was the doer type. So then we would start this friction right. and then it just grew. So then people just started doing whatever they wanted. It was like having, a, I had a team of teenagers. They're like, oh, well, we decided to 
launch that wine. I'm like, but that's not the wine we're launching today. This is the wine we're launching today, or this is the right price. Or what do you mean you're, you, one person decided to light candles and set our tasting room on fire. I mean, they just were doing whatever they wanted. So I have stories after stories as to why that would really screwed up my business. And you know what though? I, I, I've got to be honest. I'm really glad to hear you say that. Um, and although that's your, here's where I screwed up moment. Um, that, I mean, that is what I, that is my philosophy. 100% is that you really need to have clarity on the, the vision around your business. Like, what are we doing? And you not just not, and, and values, but not just so that they're a poster on the wall. Not just that they're a part of your business plan, but that they actually, and your role as a leader, as a CEO is to bring those to life and help your team see themselves in those values and in that purpose, in that why, right? And if, if they, if you don't create that connection, they're not going to do it themselves. Like you're absolutely right. That's not their role. Your role is to help them do that. And so I'm really so grateful that you brought that up because I, that is my mission is to help female founders do that in their business. Um, so that's a really valuable, valuable lesson. I am sorry to hear that your bookkeeper stole from you. That is a trouble. Oh, it was, it, like awful. I said, the stories go on and on. So that's another thing. I will say the biggest lesson I learned is not doing severe background checks on people. Cause I would do like one or two, like, oh, they're fine. You know what? Um, hiring should be like dating. Cause it's way harder to get them out of your business. Right. So, yeah. so what, take your time. You might have to, you know, pull some more weight for a while, but that I implemented a four interview process after that, I actually required them to write to me what their vision and goals were personally and what they saw from my business. I then would have a one-on-one meeting with them off site. Then I would have a one-on-one meeting with the team. And then I would have a follow-up meeting with them saying, Hey, before we meet, show me what you think our strengths or weaknesses are. So then I brought in somebody wanting their opinions to be valued and heard, but it right away, if somebody wrote to me saying like, Oh, you know, I just really want to make a million dollars one day and DJ, I was like, well, then you shouldn't get this job. Like <laughs> this is you need- role for you. No. And I had that. And then I had some people who wouldn't write anything. I literally had some, he's like, my big goal is to be a rapper. I'm like, why are you applying to be like, run our wholesale? I don't understand. Yeah. Like, it so, well, what a beautiful, instead of just throwing out an ad and like, y- are you okay? Do you breathe? Great. Start on Tuesday. Cause that's how I began. And it was not okay. And the other thing is I really dedicated myself to, like you said, getting a coach because now I was leading people. Like, it's okay if it was just me, but once I had a team, yeah, I really needed somebody to help keep me in my leadership self because it's easy to slip back to old behaviors, yeah. but I had to step up who I was, how I led a team. And so that's when I first got my coach and my coach, I love him to pieces. He was my first coach ever. And he is, if you, any of you know, Chris Hogan, he's a doll. So I had this big, burly, you know, deep voiced Chris Hogan. We get on these calls. He's like, you know, you don't have to get mad to fire and you don't have to do that. I mean, he just walked me through so many beautiful aspects. And he really taught me at the time um, how to also do assessments of my team, how to have weekly check-ins, how to communicate, how to also set up goals that they were excited about instead of me just being like, here you go, you got your goal. And I started now 
what I do for all my clients is we, we, I always make them do their personality and brand assessment. So then you can look out and heat map your team because then, you know, like, oh, I have, you know, I don't want a creative bookkeeper and a quiet salesperson. Like those should be swapped. Like you just, yeah, you need to know who your work, who's working for you. And if they even have the right role, I've actually swapped roles many times on certain teams because it's just more efficient for the vision and their assets. Yeah. Right. Put people in jobs that is real there that are really going to allow them to shine and not only for you, but also that they're going to feel confident and comfortable and like their contribution really matters. Exactly. And one thing I will say is one of the biggest, I think, misunderstanding about business is that there's a front of the house, a back of the house. Oh, there's a sales team. Oh, there's a marketing team or marketing person and a salesperson. And there's an, an accounting person. One of the biggest shifts I made is we are all part of this business. We're all part of this result. So everybody here is a salesperson. Everybody here should care about the organization. Everybody. So that it doesn't matter who's on the other end of the phone. If they need service, you don't say, sorry, she'll be back Tuesday. You say, oh, is there something I can help you with? Because that will up the sales of your team so radically when you learn how to create a positive culture that anybody wants to be a part of. Yeah. Oh, you're giving me goosebumps. You're totally speaking my language. Cause I, I think that this, no, I do. I, I, I believe that having that really brilliant culture that people are completely bought into and they see themselves in, mm-hmm. they can see the reflection of who they are and how value, how valuable their contribution is. And you're right. Everybody in your business is a salesperson. Everybody, everybody's in advertising because who, who is going to sell what you like, if your team really believes in what you're doing, they're going to proselytize for you. They're going to share that message. A hundred percent. And that happens. I mean, my, my beautiful friend, Zena, she has magic RTs and I, I help with some of the, the outbound sales and her team is so solid because they know what they're there for. And they all just love her magic. And then you look at Sarah Blakely. One thing she always talks about is like her team meetings and how fun they are and how she believes in them. You look at the founder of Hint, her book just came out um, at Undoubter, I think it is, but same thing. She's like, we get together. And so I'm staying fresh with my team going, okay, what, but you have to have a balance, right? You can't just lead and let your team lead you. You must lead, right? Because that's the (laughs) other side. It's like, whatever you guys want to do, nah. You have to still set standards. I didn't fire quickly enough. I let my employees drip, 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 drip. And then finally I would have to like it. That is one thing I will say that, you know, if you build a stable of stallions and everybody knows your culture and you're like, yes, yes, yes. But you know, in your heart of hearts, you still have a donkey on your team. Yeah. You have a donkey. Do you know, I did not know this that stallions will slow down if there's a, if there's a donkey around, like they, yeah. they don't race as fast. No. Nope. So if you have a donkey, they're going to affect the, the, the productivity, everything. So you have to really either say, Hey, do you want to be a stallion? Then let me help you get there. Cause we yeah. would like you to be a part of this team. Or I don't think this is a good fit. You don't have to get angry about it, but you do need to replace it. The second, you know, when you are stepping into the highest and best version of your business, you have to make sure you have the team behind you to do it. You know what? It, it is it, it is absolutely true. 
not only does it affect productivity, but it also, especially for the, your racehorses, as you've said, your thoroughbreds, your high performers, when they see you as a leader not addressing, whether it's performance issues or just simply someone not pulling their weight, your high performers become disengaged. They 100%. Start to lose passion for the for the shared vision. And, and so it, it it really can be a problem. Um for, for and 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 then you just lose all sorts of productivity and energy and enthusiasm and that love. So I think you're right. It it is key uh, and it's hard. That's really hard to have that conversation, but it can be very valuable. Chances are the person who's not performing knows they're not performing. They, they yeah. feel that they feel that. Well, and the, the thing I will say to this, when I worked with my first coach and I just, Oh, I can't do this. And they're a single mom and I don't want to, ah, and I had all this story that I literally wrapped around, not letting that one teammate go. Right. Yeah. And he said, okay, Crystal. So how hard is it for you to pick up the phone and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make up a name right now, but like Martha, you're a great person. And I think there's a better fit for you because I know I wasn't a great leader in the past, but I really want to lead this team to excellence. And I'm going to kind of require that from everybody. And I know that either maybe the role doesn't fit for you, or maybe there's something else gone home. Tell me what's going on. And if you want to go ahead and be a part of this, then let's map out a 30 day plan to see if you can meet that. Sound yeah. good? Yes. No. It's like, why Crystal, is that a hard conversation? I'm like, well, not when you put it that way, you know? And so it just gave me again, that permission to declare the results of my business, the vision yeah, and not let it, not all the stories because you, your team wants to know that you are going to lead them somewhere. Uh, absolutely. And I think even in those difficult conversations where we, I mean, ultimately it's because we care, we don't want to hurt someone. And, and that, you know, that's to be respected, but you're right. Again, I think your inner critic makes that way more of an issue, way more of a story than it needs to be. Brene Brown says clear is kind. And I think mm -hmm. that when we are clear with our perform our, with our underperforming employees and we are clear with them, Hey, I can see you and I see you struggling. I see you underperforming again. I want to know why tell me what's happening for you. Let's see if we can't if I can't enable you, if I can't remove roadblocks for you, if I can't find you a different role that's going to make you successful, or if I can't release you to go and find the right role for you, how do I make this work? But being clear really is the ultimate in terms of showing our caring, right? A hundred percent. And here's yeah. the thing that I will say, one of the number one issues, so many business owners do not do this is because they're exhausted. And the thought of rehiring is frustrating and exhausting. Yeah. Well, who else am I going to find? They've been with me for years. You know, that's true. They may have been, but you're, you might be missing the next level of your business by just letting that one donkey stay in your stables. Yeah. Or by not offering them the opportunity to improve, they may not realize right? Like I, I always believe, and I, I mean, I was in corporate HR for many years. So always believe that people deserve the opportunity to see if they can improve first. And I, I mm -hmm. you, you know, you sort of talked about that. And then if that doesn't work and, and do they need something different from you? Maybe a donkey needs something different from you to be a racehorse. Right? Yep. And that, communication, 
Yeah. Like that's the number one thing. We are so busy when we're running businesses. You bet. But if you don't say, Hey, every Monday, let's check in. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, sales, what's going on? If, if you don't make them a priority, they're not going to make you a priority because people care when they think you care. I, Plain I think and simple. That, I think that that is actually a really great way to put it. People care when they think you care about them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're never going to care about your business the way you care. Cause it's yours. It's your baby, mm-hmm. but you can really get them to invest and to be present and to bring their best self to work every day. If you show up and show that you care about them, I think, I think that is like ultimately what it's all about. People want to feel seen and heard even when they're working for you. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. Um, I just want to end on this note and I want to ask you, how do you lead? I mean, you've talked you talked all about this, but if you were to describe your leadership, what would you say? Oh, now it's very different. Yeah. <laughs> um, the 21 year old crystal versus the, you know, 40 something crystals it's, oh. there's a few decades of lessons in there. And then, and I always say, Hey, you don't have to be hit by two by four. Like, I was. um, love it. I love it. The, the real it's, it's feeling results, vision. I mean, everything I do is like, well, what are we going to do? How can we do it? And I asked my team, Hey, you know, I, I had a situation come up recently where somebody in my team, I wanted them to help me with something. And she, and she knows me. Cause I always say, Hey, I want everybody to be their G in their genius lane. Yeah. And I asked her to help me something on social media. And she goes, Crystal, I'm not good at that. I can do it. I will, because I care, but I don't think that's my that is not my genius zone. So please be patient with me. And I was like, good on you. It's okay. We're going to find somebody else. Like I, I don't want my team. And it's, it wasn't a pushback. It wasn't like, I'm not going to do that. It was just, this isn't my genius zone. And I want to stay in my genius zone. So I just, you know, had her outline what she's good at, which is organization. We organized what the job post would be. We found somebody else. So that was really love it. the way that I lead is making sure I know everybody's on my team. What is their assessment? What is their genius zone? And then what's the end goal results? And we all communicate that. And then checking in, you know, I have quick weekly check-ins and then we have monthly planning check-ins because it does matter. You know, now I'm on the other side, helping people get the kind of sales results I used to get. And it's, it's doing the same thing. Yeah. That I just think that that is so logical. And I love that your team feels empowered to say, Hey, this is, you know, this isn't my thing and nor do I wish it to be right. Because a lot of people would think, Oh my gosh, if I don't say yes, I'm going to lose my job. And your team says, Oh my gosh, I, I want to help, but this is something that's just not, it's not my dream. Right. Yeah. Or, and, and, and simply her zone of genius. And so it's, it, what I will say is also one of the ways I lead my business is not by doing everything that that market tells you, you have to do. Like, I'm very clear about, you don't have to be something for everyone. You need to be something for someone, right? So you may, you don't have to be on every social media outlet. I'm not, Yeah. you don't have to be, you don't have to have a team of 20. You can have a really tight team of four with really clear expectations. You can have Like really, I believe because of the way that I teach business at that premium level is the more customized you make your business to fit your genius zone, your goals with structure, the better you're going to be. 
You don't have to like have it so scattered that you actually don't know which way is up anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. Cause I, I do think we get caught up in the, well, again, the shooting, I should have this. I should have that. Mm -hmm. I, I just, even scanning through Facebook really quickly this morning, it's you should have an evergreen course. Oh, you should do live launches. You should never do a live launch. <laughs> right. Like it's, <sighs> there is so many <laughs> so frustrating. And I just, I had to laugh because just in my own feed this morning. And I was like, how do you even know mm-hmm. which way is up as a business owner, as a female founder? Some days it is really hard to figure that out. Yep. And that's why I say, don't focus on the how first focus on what are the results you want and who do you want them for? Because once you're clear there, you're like, Oh no, I want to work with this type of person. Then you can go back to the how, okay, well, how do we reach that person? How do we serve that person? If you focus so much on like, well, we got to have an evergreen course. we got to have a, this, then we got to be on Pinterest. Then oh. we got to go over here. And then we have to have a Google and we have to do LinkedIn it's overwhelming. That's like going into a shopping mall and thinking you have to buy something from every store, (laughs) right? Create your wardrobe to suit your look and feel your business should be like a war, like a capsule wardrobe. You know, what fits, you know, it works. It's timeless for you. If you like Dave Martins, do your doc Martins. If you (laughs) like looking like elegant and wear, you know, beautiful dresses, do that. Like just, but own it. Don't, don't, like you said, don't should all over yourself. Don't allow the market to dictate your own way of doing business, but do it with heart and do it with consistency because consistency is the biggest payoff when you have clarity and consistency, and then you know how to connect and communicate from those places. Everything will shift for you. I love it. I love it. That is such a great place to end the conversation today. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. We've got so many philosophies in common. Thank you so much for sharing all of that today. That was just really brilliant. Um, uh, and I'm so grateful to have some time with you, uh, to, to be able to, to do this and share this with other female founders. I think it's going to be really valuable. Awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. To everyone tuning in today, thanks for joining me on the Female Founder Friday podcast. I really loved Crystal's message today that everyone on your team needs to play an important role and needs to be valued for their unique contribution. And you can find out more about Crystal and the amazing work she does with her clients at crystalclifton.com. And of course, you can connect with me on Instagram at High Volt Leadership. The Female Founder Friday podcast has a goal to impact a thousand listeners, and it would mean the world to me if you left this episode a five-star review and shared it with all your friends. Let's engage a thousand female entrepreneurs and really amplify the message. Thanks so much for being a part of the show, and don't forget to connect with me anytime at highvoltageleadership.ca.